Area 941 podcast are produced and distributed by Community Powered 94.1 KPFA Radio. Please help support Area 941 at kpfa.org. You're listening to Arabiyat with Linda and Soraya. I'm Linda. And I'm Soraya. In one of our recent episodes, we did a show on the 19th annual Arab Film Festival in San Francisco. Today, we're lucky enough to have one of the film's directors in studio. His name is Mu'ayyad Ali Yan. He's a Palestinian filmmaker based in Jerusalem. And his feature film, Love, Theft, and Other Entanglements, was featured in the Arab Film Festival this year. He calls it an absurdist semi-comedy. If you want to go out of this place, you do what I tell you, okay? Everybody, everybody, even the police, yes, they want you alive. Me? Nobody cares about me. What will happen to me? I want to go out from this place too. Do you believe in peace? Of course. This is very good. What is this place? We're gonna stay here long. So, uh, welcome, Wayed. Thank you so much for having me. So, the main character in your film is a Palestinian car thief. So, someone who's just hearing the film storyline might say, hey, we're trying to make Palestinians look good. Why did you choose to make a thief as your protagonist? The goal was not to um, just show a Palestinian thief or, you know, have a Palestinian represented as a thief. The goal was to create a character that's not traditional uh, to what we see in Palestinian cinema or cinema on Palestine. I mean, the stereotype is you either get the Palestinian national hero or patriot, the good guy, and sometimes you get the opposite, you get the victim, or you can, I mean, in other cinema, unfortunately, you get the terrorist or the bad guy. We just wanted to create a character that's average, um, very simple man who is actually imperfect and does things in um, a bad way. He's not a bad guy. And he's not a thief because he wants to be a thief. He's forced to be a thief and steal cars to find a way out of his troubled life. Did you find it a little bit difficult while writing and uh, making the film to to make sure that his character is relatable? Because sometimes, you know, you're dealing with a Palestinian character, people who 
are used to seeing like the nationalist struggling hero of Palestine who's like struggling under the occupation and trying to resist and trying to like liberate, etc. Was it hard to keep this character who was doing none of these things and who is in some sort of criminal activity relatable? Um, we wanted the, the politics be in the background. I mean, Musa is somebody who's trying to deal with his own personal problems. He's living with his father um, in a refugee camp. He grew up in a refugee camp, so he's a refugee. He's uh, part of the very impoverished Palestinian community who uh, is forced to get jobs in construction and, and hard labor in Israel to survive. His father wants him to accept this reality. He refuses that reality. He uh, is living a love story with a lover. Uh, well, actually, it's a decayed love story. It's actually a ruined love story because of his own wrongdoings. So he's dealing with a lot of personal issues and financial issues that force him to f- try to find a way out. And he's trying to bribe his way out of the country and go to Europe. And then the politics kicks in and he steals the wrong car and he gets stuck and deeper and deeper and deeper into the conflict. But at a certain level, Musa is uh, so in that sense, you do. Re- I mean, we worked on that personal elements in the film. So all the audience around the world would relate to him, would, re- would relate to his trouble and his pursuit to getting out of his personal trouble. But then when the politics comes in, even the car thief, even this car thief, bad guy, typical character does have a certain level of responsibility also nationally and politically as a Palestinian. The the point that kind of comes across is like no matter how much you just want to have live your own life as a Palestinian and have your own personal struggles with growth and life is hard enough as it is, being Palestinian there is absolutely no way to escape politics. The conflict finds you, yes, and the the occupation at the end of the day is in your face. So right. So he steals the wrong car, and in the film it ends up at, there ends up being a kidnapped Israeli soldier in the back, right? And that the whole thing, he sort of has to deal with this kidnapped Israeli soldier. I'm starting to think of like a lot of Western movies where, you know, there's like Stockholm Syndrome or like the the bad guy is actually like a good guy. You kind of relate to him. But, you know, how how is the Israeli soldier's character? Is he someone that we like? Is he someone... Because that's a tricky thing to navigate. They're both imperfect. So Musa is is confronted with a system of of um, life under occupation. The, the the character web represents everything that a Palestinian would would face in daily life or in your life in general. So you have the the occupation, which is represented by the Israeli intelligence that start that are looking actually for the Palestinian militias who kidnapped the soldier in the first place, and then you have the militias who are looking for the resistance fighters who are looking for their car that went missing. That Musa stole. And then you have Musa's father, um, first generation or second generation refugee who wants to make things work and, and live a better life and, you know, secure income for him and his family. And then you have Musa who is trying to escape this reality. And also you have the corrupt Palestinian official that represents the new era post Oslo, you know. So in that sense, the soldier is kind of... Um, he's in a certain way a reflection of Musa. He's a soldier, but he's not the one who represents the occupation. It's the security system, the intelligence officer that is later on in the film um, hunting Musa, the one that represents the occupation. The soldier actually is just a guy who would rather be doing something else, kind of like Musa. He's, He's not the perfect soldier. He's skinny, he's clumsy, just like Musa, and he just found himself in that situation. 
there's a scene where Musa's being questioned by a row of Westerners. And I really want to ask you, I, I thought it was great that you put this in. She keeps asking him the question, do you believe in peace? And he just stares at her and just doesn't really know what to say. Can you talk a little bit about that? In, in the movie, the, uh, Musa is trying to bribe um, a Palestinian official who's who can get him a visa to Europe to escape the country. And um, he's doing that by putting him on a list of football players, soccer players who are going to um, like a peace camp with Israelis abroad. And, you know, in, in Palestine, there's a lot of international presence. There's a lot of foreigners, particularly Europeans who come with, you know, international organizations. And I think they come with a lot of good intentions. They do want to help. They do want to make a difference. But at the same time, they come with their own agenda or with their own vision of what the Palestinians need or should do, you know. And in that sense, that scene is a kind of reflection to that reality. I mean, one of one of them asks him, do you believe in peace? The other asks him, do you, what do you think about gender equality? And all these issues are, are important. But for somebody, I mean, and it comes later during the movie after we've seen Musa go through so much trouble. And then it's just so absurd that, you know, he's he's confronted with these questions. So, yeah, that's... This absurdist element is definitely present throughout the film. You're trying to make this statement that life in Palestine is just absurd. You know, in, in every day, li- I, I live in Jerusalem. I cross checkpoints two or three times a day. I go to Bethlehem and Ramallah every day almost. And for work and for my friends and, you know. And I think I used to be, and I still am angry and sad about this reality. But after living there for so long, sometimes it just hits you how absurd this situation is. You have a, like an 18-year-old Israeli soldier going through your groceries twice a day or like checking your trunk and checking your your car and asking you questions. Where have you been? What were you doing? And, you know, it's it's just, it's sad. It, 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 it's really terrible. But at the same time, if you go through these situations every day, you encounter the most absurd situations of people crossing to a wedding or people, you know, who are stopped because they have chicken or meat and it's illegal to cross with chicken. And it's just so this absurdity was one of the motivations behind that story world that we created in the film. You also mentioned that your hope for the film is to present a universality that regardless of it's in Palestine, the occupation, et cetera, there's just a universal element to it. Why do you think that's significant? Palestinian cinema struggles a lot. I mean, we've we've had great successes in the past. We've had movies that made it and got distributed widely. I think for the longest time, we have been trying to get our voice out there just because, you know, the Zionist lobby, you know, they they always are ahead or in control of the media game. And I think we did succeed in a way of getting the world to see our our stories and to hear our narrative. But at the same time, I feel that we need to, now, we need to work extra hard at getting other narratives, other characters, other stories out of Palestine, uh, apart from what international audiences are used to. And that was part of it. We wanted the, the stories of these characters to be in the foreground. We wanted this, the human and the social elements to be there. And we wanted the story world and the reality of the occupation to be there because you cannot ignore it. I mean, the occupation is there. It's impossible to just say everything, you know. Right. So it is there in the background. But the social the social elements and the personal story of Musa as a human being who's trying to redeem himself is 
a universal thing. So I hope that will get, you know, people to, um, you know, just not reject watching a Palestinian film because of political, you know. Like it's too heavy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I myself have started to feel that way after so many years. And I was relieved to see actually a lot of the films in the lineup this year. It seems that your ideas about how we should be making films and talking about our stories is changing today because I think we become numb. No matter how much you want to care, at some point it's so heavy and depressing that you just want to reject it. So I think this is the perfect moment for films like yours to be presented to the international community and to our own selves in the diaspora. And there's a certain expectation of Palestinian films and Palestinian filmmakers. There's a certain elements that the, the audiences, even the audiences who, who are, you know, pro-Palestinian or, you know, just, you know, fans of Palestinian cinema, there, there's a certain expectation of what a Palestinian film will look like. There's a certain expectation of what a Palestinian film will, what elements will be in a Palestinian film. I think that was okay for a certain time. I think... Palestine has so much to offer. The community is just so rich in stories and characters and experiences that I think we should be contributing toward cinema, literature, and music beyond the definition of, of who we are through the occupation or the conflict with Israel. As victims. Yeah. It reminds me of how black uh, films here are treated because I see like the parallels between like black cinema and Palestinian cinema because in Hollywood... Uh, what tends to be really celebrated are black films that celebrate the kid growing up in the hood, gangster stuff, drugs, violence, etc. But the films that just show black people, you know, living their life like average stuff, not having to deal with poverty or gang violence or gun violence or anything like that. We're not really celebrated as much, you know? It takes a movie like Selma, which is about MLK, and, and a movie like Ten Years a Slave, and those are the ones that get all the accolades. But try to do a simple narrative about, like, two people who are black and who are just dealing with their humanity, and that stuff just gets ignored. And so I think the same thing in Palestine, you know, like, people just want to see, like, oh, the struggle, the resistance, the occupation, etc. Very political stuff, but then... You know, we're forgetting that Palestinians, regardless of living in the occupation, are still human beings struggling with the same things that we all struggle with, you know, like internal conflicts, family issues, love, etc. So I think it's great that, you know, that you decided to go that route and show a different side. And maybe hopefully it'll start a movement of doing more art like this so that I think I think more than anything else, this brings back the humanity to Palestinians that they've been robbed robbed of by, like, Western media for so long. Yeah, I mean, Western media, for one, and um, just world cinema. I mean, the, the expectation of producers in Europe of Palestinian film, even those who want to, um, who claim that they are trying to get stories beyond the conflict and beyond Palestinian stories under occupation, they still have a certain expectation of the Palestinian story. So even when they pretend that they, they are interested in the other or alternative, it's actually the same alternative that fits them or is okay and light enough for them to produce and, and promote. That's one. The other thing is the Palestinian community in itself is tired of seeing the same thing, the same reflection of their own reality on screen. I mean, the, the local audience is really thirsty for new stories also, you know. So in that, in that sense, 
it is important, and I hope this would start. I mean, there there has been a lot of, I, I, I mean, different feature films that have been produced in the last few years have explored this and tried to tell different stories, social stories, different you know dramas or comedies, and I think I hope this snowball goes on. On that same note, uh, was this film viewed by an Israeli audience? Well, um, not in, like not in Israel, but there, there, there was a lot of Israeli press at the Berlinale, and a lot of Israelis in the audiences that came to us after the screening and uh, discussed them and asked questions and stuff like that. So, and were you surprised by their reactions, or was it like the typical um, Israeli peaceniks? I think Israelis uh, who were in the audiences in festivals that we've attended so far have liked the film a lot. They laughed. They liked it. They felt that it's different. Some pro-Israeli audiences abroad were not very comfortable with it. Like Israelis themselves liked it, but for some reason we got a, I mean, and we didn't get like criticism or like people coming to us and being pissed or angry about the story but they were not they did not know what to make out of it because okay there's this Palestinian film where there's a soldier who's kidnapped in the trunk and the Palestinian guy is actually talking normally to the Israeli and they're interacting and you know the Palestinian is not like kicking the soldier or like pushing him around so it was not comfortable for them but but Israelis Israelis liked it like Israelis were okay with it but for some reason yeah, pro-Israelis abroad were not. I don't know. Well, I don't they know. seem to be the most radical and least in touch yeah. with the realities. Yeah, kind of. You know, I think yeah. even Israelis are a little bit more in touch. Yeah. Um, on the same vein, like even criticism of Israel in America is a, uh, much more suppressed than criticism of Israel in Israel. Yeah. So yeah. that makes sense. I want to discuss a little bit the aesthetics of the aesthetic choices you made for the film. So the film is in black and white. Why black and white? We were going for absurd, funny, um, a dramedy in this story. And we felt that black and white adds to that absurd, awkward uh, feel to the movie in itself and the story world. We felt that in the general direction, we we wanted it to be a fairy tale story. We wanted the, the characters and events to be real. But the way things are happening are so absurd that you would feel that this fairy taleish element to the story. And black and white helped a lot. We tested that while we were writing, and we just decided to go ahead with that. Another thing is there's a certain, unfortunately, there's a certain expectation of images coming out of Palestine, Israel, and the conflict. There's a certain, there's certain elements that people look for, and you know it attracts attention of the audiences. And we didn't want that. We wanted the audiences to be focused with the characters and not be, you know looking for any kind of exotic uh, background or, you know, points of interest that would drag the attention away from the the characters and the story. So that was another element. The musical choices. There's not a lot of, again, like like what you just said about the visuals, the not typical Arabic, you know, Oud kind of music. Can you talk about that? Again, the the we, we chose we were we knew it's going to be jazzy. Again, we wanted this absurdness and Are you saying that it's absurd to not, like have jazzy music? No, no, I just think that the, the music the 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 sections in the movie where we used music, we wanted music to push the audiences to just crack up and just be surprised at the awkwardness of what just happened. So it, it jazz music worked fine. And um, it's actually Ethio Jazz by a, a Belgian uh, friend and a Belgian musician um, who does a lot of 
you know, combination of Ethiopian, Eastern European, and Arab music with jazz. So it's, um, I'm, 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 I'm happy about it. I'm happy about yeah, it. that was great. <laughs> Something I'm curious about, and I've always been curious about in regards to Palestinian films, and now that you're sitting here, I want to ask you, is how is it filming, you know, under an occupation? Did you get harassed? I mean, I, what, what goes into that? Because I'm always watching these movies, and I'm like, how do these get made, you know, when you're being observed a lot of the times and limitations, etc.? Being an independent filmmaker is hard everywhere around the world. I mean, every independent filmmaker struggles. In Palestine, you have like 10 to 15 other issues that you have to deal with. Access is definitely a problem. Most of our productions, even in my previous shorts, me and Rami, we had to schedule around Christmas and Easter because a lot of our friends in Bethlehem, like a small percentage of Palestinians get permits during holidays to cross to the, to, um, Tibet, to, to Jerusalem and uh, Nazareth. And that's like normally two weeks in Christmas, two weeks in Easter. So we always film around these dates. Sammy, our lead actor, uh, Musa, he, we, were, we scheduled the two days of filming in Jerusalem during Easter, hoping that the Israeli army would deliver the permits to the church on time. They were late. We had to reschedule until he and our sound technician and our land producer got their permits and were able to cross to Jerusalem. I mean, you go through this all the time. You're always working around the restrictions and the limitations. We filmed this around Bethlehem and Jerusalem. And so Jerusalem, you know, it's, it's, some of the scenes were filmed in, in West Jerusalem. So uh, it's Israel under Israeli control. So what we did there was basically shoot and run. We filmed these scenes so quickly and we ran away. We tried to film on a Shabbat. So, we, you know, the streets are not uh, busy. On the Palestinian side, in the West Bank, well, in the in the, the Palestinian territory, uh, we filmed in what is called Area A, B, and C according to the Oslo Agreement. So Area A, for those who don't know, is under complete Palestinian control. Well, complete, you know. Area B is under Palestinian administrative uh, control and Israeli security control, and Area C is under complete Israeli control. So the military runs the show in Area C. We had scenes in different areas, and the scenes in Area A, we had to coordinate with the Palestinian police and, uh, you know, the, um, the municipality of Bethlehem. So that was, it was okay. You know, you, you need to talk to people. You need to submit a few letters and stuff. Um, we got the Palestinian police to um, help us. We, that's actually how we got the machine guns, I mean, for the scenes of the chasing and the militia scenes. And for Area C... We had to use toy guns because the Palestinian police cannot go there. And so basically, when you're watching the film, every time you see a machine gun, that's area A. Every time you see a gun, that's a toy gun. That's just, you know, these lighter guns. So that's area C. And there was one time when we were filming in area B and we thought that that area is okay for the Palestinian police to get there. And in the morning of the filming, they just, you know, they they literally had to bring the maps out and like, oh, you know, this is kind of tricky. We don't know if this like little piece of land, this field is area A or B. So they just, they said sorry and they did not show up. So how long did it take you to make the film? The production, the actual production? Yeah, yeah. 24 days, oh. including, yeah. Okay. 
Wow, that seems quick. Yeah, right. yeah. We we were on a super 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 low budget. Right. So um, I I think it's one of the very first micro budget Palestinian features to be made. So really, yeah. Usually, what? How are they financed these films? Well, Palestinian films so far have been mostly uh, co-productions with Europe, which was great. Um, I think it was important without the, because we don't have local funding, we don't have state funds that support cinema. There's a few initiatives here and there, you know, by certain European ministries and, and um, consulates that do give funds for the arts for sure. But there's not, a, you know, um, a clear fund for cinema in Palestine. So in the 90s and in the recent years, co-productions was the way for Palestinian features to be made. For us, I mean, that was, I, I'm, I have nothing against that, but it's just so limiting. We've, in the 90s, we used to have like one feature film every five years or something. Now things are better. We have like two, maybe sometimes three or four per year. But still, I mean, there is, in my generation, I know so many filmmakers who have been waiting for so long just because this, the, the, the conditions of getting these, the financing from Europe is so hard and the competition is so high. And when you don't have your own funding locally, if you're not coming to co-production with something from your own country, if, it, if co-production takes three to five years, it's going to take you five to ten years. In this, in this case, we, we were working on different scripts, actually, and we chose to go ahead and develop this one and, and just write and stylize that story in a way that we can produce locally with what we have access to and with the talent and um, without, you know, big budgets or, you know, um, uh, having to go through all the process of, of financing in, in co-production. And this model of, you know, do-it-yourself has proven to be successful in many places around the world. And to me, I mean, if in Argentina they can make a film for 100000 we can do that. I mean, I'm... I think it's particularly for Palestine, if, if we're struggling to get health care and, you know, I don't know how many MRI machines there are in the country, for example, and you tell me we're making a Palestinian film for two million, I, I don't know if that's something to be super proud of. You know, I mean, art is important. And believe me, I'm the first person who would want money being put in cinema. But we also have to have some kind of responsibility and try other creative solutions and not, you know... So co-productions were important and still are. They should go on. But I think we should also start trying other models of production in Palestine. So. Wow, I'm so impressed right now. I'm like yeah. very impressed that you're able to create this film on such a low budget. And I'm really happy to hear that this was basically a pure Palestinian perspective. And co-production, once again, I mean, we can talk about co-production for hours it doesn't come free. I mean, the involvement of producers uh, and what they... T I mean, at the end of the day, they want to make their money back and they want to make money out of the film. So a French producer would have a different expectation of your story. A German producer would have a different expectation of your story. So when you're, you know, when you're coming with only your story and your talent into the deal, I mean, m big money means somebody is your boss. You know, and uh, that's problematic. And believe me, Palestinian filmmakers who I'm sure, I mean, all Palestinian works that you have seen, because I know almost all these filmmakers personally, you don't know how much effort and, and you know, struggles they have to go through to defend their point of view, their story, their vision, and not have the influences of the money change that. 
it's it takes a long time and it takes a lot of effort. You know, Palestinians have to defend their vision yeah, yeah, in yeah, a film yeah. about Palestine when Germans and French are funding it and producing it. Yeah, not only because it's out of Palestine, not only because of that, just because they think in terms of what the audiences will want to see. Right. Or if you're challenging the audiences, still there's a certain boundary Yeah, to that. You know what I mean? You've mentioned that the way you went about doing this film is what you call grassroots filmmaking. And you also had a short uh, in the in the festival called Lish Sabrin. Years ago. And it also was made through great grassroots filmmaking. What was that process like? What, did you have people from the community fund you? Uh, was it like the act, some of the actors were working for free? You know, what was, okay. what was that like? I, I lived in, in San Francisco for a couple of years. I went to City College, and I feel I was so lucky to be involved in the filmmaking community in the Bay Area just because I, I know that a lot of filmmakers here are doing it against all odds, and it's one of the parts of the world where really indie, indie, indie filmmakers are are going out of their way to get their stories done. When I went back to Palestine, that definitely, I can say now that that saved me. I mean, I went there and uh, I didn't know what to expect. I started learning what the older generation of filmmakers had to go through in making their films. And I just felt that I should try and do what, you know, create the community around me of friends and colleagues that would be producing stuff together as opposed to having to go and, you know, get all this financing on board. And and I think we as a Palestinian community are very supportive and very generous. I mean, people would, you know, and and I say this all the time, making a film in Palestine is like building a house or, or, or preparing a wedding party. Everybody comes on board to help. And everybody who's good at something just contributes. People put up the lights, people build the stage, people, you know, help with the wardrobe, dress the bride and the groom. And there's this spirit of community support that was missing in a way, you know. So that's how I produced almost all all my shorts and this film as well. And a few years after I got there, I started teaching in a a college in Bethlehem, which is the only college that teaches cinema in Palestine. And a a lot of the team now that is working with me is actually some of my students. And a lot of the cast that act in my movies are actually, you know, my friends, my cousins, my neighbors. And to a certain level, I kind of abused everybody. But, I mean, we're still friends, so they still like me. But (laughs) when I watch the films right now, I'm glad to see everybody in there. You know, like um, the militia men you saw in the film, um, that one of them is a filmmaker, actually. He's my cousin. He's also the assistant director in the film. So he was assistant director and he was one of the militia men. The gaffer was one of the Misha men as well. Uh, Rami, my brother, who's a co-writer and co-producer, was the falafel guy in the film. <laughs> the policeman, the Israeli policeman and the Israeli intelligence are actually my neighbors. What about um, the guy who played the Israeli who was captured? He's, a fr- he's actually a musician. Uh, Riyadh is a musician from Haifa. And, uh, yeah, he, he had the perfect Israeli accent. He lives in Haifa. So, you know, and it, it's just, you know, this sense of collective production where and and apart from that like when when you're filming in a street in Palestine believe me people just come and offer you tea and offer you food and they they take you into their homes and I'm proud of that I wish every production even if you had budgets I mean I wish every production would have that feeling you know because it's really different it um there's something sincere about it you know truly grassroots yeah do you ever think of building like an art collective or a cinema you have that yeah 
Palestine is a group of filmmakers, actors, musicians, graphic designers in the Jerusalem and Bethlehem uh, area. And uh, we're based in Bethlehem just because of access restriction for members who live in Bethlehem who cannot come to Jerusalem. We can go to Jerusalem because we're Jerusalemites. We have a blue ID. They have a green ID, the whole, right? you know. Um, so we are based in Bethlehem, and we recently started a hub or an incubator where other production companies uh, like Anat Films, for example, is now sharing the space with us, and we're kind of co-producing stuff together, uh, both our own projects and, you know, different kinds of, you know, documentaries or educational films that we, we get hired to do. I know a lot of, you know, artists, like, eventually want to help teach, the, like, young people the tools to express themselves through whatever they're doing. So have you guys worked with young people? Generally, everybody in the, in the in, in Palestine has has done some kind of training, but we never organized it ourselves. You know what I mean? It's not like we ourselves have started an, like a, a training program for for uh, youngsters to 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 make films. But I can actually say that all members have have participated in in training in schools or in in other uh, institutions. This might be an obvious question, but I'm curious to know your answer. Why do you think it's so important to cultivate the arts in Palestine? I think with the political mess that we have and the absence of representation, I think the only space that you can express yourself in is culture and arts at the moment. For the longest time, we didn't have any elections. Uh, people are not represented. We don't have a parliament that's functioning. Uh, we have this division and mess politically between two of the leading political uh, factions. So in a way, yes, arts and culture are, is, are very important for the community to express, to reject, to, you know, just, you know. Um, so that's locally. Internationally and uh, for the Palestinian cause, I think it's very important to be there and contribute to world cinema, world music and world arts. I mean, because we have to be there beyond what the conflict is defining us. And I think uh, for the longest time, Palestinians have felt that we've lost the media game. So we, we have to make sure we don't lose, you know, our presence in the arts and culture. And we have to contribute. I think after the Palestinian Nakba, the challenge was to get our story across and get our narrative across to the world. There was this feeling that we have to force the world to acknowledge our existence and our conflict and our um, catastrophe. I think the first generation of Palestinian artists and uh, filmmakers, musicians have succeeded in doing that uh, across the years. I think the challenge now is to sustain that and to try new things and find new ways of producing art, music, and cinema. All right. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you all. all. Thank right. you so much. Thank you for listening to Arabiyat. As always, you can email us at arabiyat.podcast at gmail.com. That's A-R-A-B-I-Y-A-A-T dot podcast at gmail.com. And find us on Twitter at Arabiyat and on Facebook, facebook.com slash podcast. And our theme song is by Muqata'a. The track is called Ahyat. Follow him on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash B-O-I-K-U-T-T.